The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I'd like to share a, a story, a miraculous story, a story of Tzadikim, which is the minig for Matzoi Shabbos for Saturday night. So this is a story that I had a front row seat to for a good portion of the story. And the part of the story that I don't have a front row seat to, there's actually video corroboration. And the story goes back about 30 years 1992, 29 years ago, at the time I was a yeshiva student and I had the privilege of serving as one of the senior students. It was called Shluchim. We were like uh, sent from the yeshiva and a shlichut from the Rebbe to assist in, in the uh, activities and the work in the yeshiva in Los Angeles, yeshiva Orochan and Chabad. So our responsibilities also entailed studying with many of the high school students. And that meant that in addition to keeping the regular Sidre HaYeshiva, in addition to keeping the regular uh, daily schedule, we would oftentimes, in our leisure time, study with some of the younger students. So I had a Yeshiva studies would finish at 9.30 and I had a series of different students I would study with, usually till about 11.30 at night. And my, my last session of the day, every day was with a, uh, a young man who was an immigrant from, from uh, the former Soviet Union. Now he was not raised observant at all as a child. In fact, he didn't have a bris milah, uh, growing up in communist Russia. And sometime after the Chernobyl nuclear reactor meltdown, sometime after that, they weren't far away from there when it happened. And sometime after, his family managed to emigrate. And they spent a number of months in, in Europe. I think they were in Vienna, maybe later in Italy. If my memory doesn't fail me, in Ladispoli. And eventually they had relatives in the United States and they transferred over to the United States, first to New Jersey, and then they went to Chicago. Now the family that they stayed with, these relatives, whose second cousins, were Shabbat observant Jews. And the young man that I'm gonna tell you the story about, I think was 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old, when he left the former Soviet Union and he spends these few months in transit and being with these cousins who were Shomer Shabbat, he was very much taken by, by Yiddishkeit. It was his first exposure to Yiddishkeit. He received the Brit Milah at this advanced age. And he took on the name Meir Shlomo, which is the name of the Rebbe Zayda, Rebbe's mother's father. Rebbe's mother's birthday is actually this, this week on Tuesday, Chavches Tevis. And Rebbe Zechana's father was Meir Shlomo. So he took on the Rebbe Zechana's father's name and and um, he, he became an observant, observant Jew by himself. This is quite remarkable, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy. When the family left and began to establish themselves, he informed his family that unless they would allow him to remain observant, he was not going with them. He was remaining with the cousins. And as he told me the story, his father said, I would beat you, but I know it won't help. He's a very, very strong-willed young man. And so I'm going to allow you, we're not very happy about this, but I'll allow you to continue to observe Shabbat and keep kashrut. And, and to their extraordinary credit, they actually had their home kosher and they kept a kosher kitchen. And young Mayor Shlomo, with his family, took up residence in Chicago and he made sure that he was enrolled in a parochial school. Now remember, here's a young man who's learning Aleph Bays at the age of 11. So it's not exactly... 
He's not able to fit into a regular grade, but somehow they tutored him, and for secular studies he excelled. And he was, they were kind of helping him along to catch up to his Hebraic studies, to his Jewish studies. And then when he, when he we finished elementary school, he went into the high school, the Skoki Yeshiva, but he wanted to go to a Lubavitch Yeshiva. His, his connection to Yiddishkeit had come through a, a family who were Hasidim, Lubavitch Hasidim, and he wanted to go to a Lubavitch Yeshiva. And his parents wanted him to go to a yeshiva that had a, a very good scholastic program, and that's how he ended up in Los Angeles. It's a very good secular scholastic program, along with a good Judaic program, and, and he's still playing catch-up. So when he, in 1992, he comes to yeshiva in Los Angeles, and he's a 16-year-old boy at the time, and he's in, I think he started off in ninth grade, even though his grade was at 12th grade already. And over the course, very, very bright boy, over the course of three months, he went from ninth grade to 10th grade to 11th grade, and by the time February or March came along, he was already studying alongside his peers in the 12th grade. And we became very close. We became, I remember we learned a hemshech, a, a continuation of, of uh, my marim of the Rebbe Marash called Mayim Rabim. And we would study every night from 11 to 11.30. That was our, our slot. And we would study together. Now, somewhere in, somewhere in June, the he fell in the shower and, and his arm, somehow he had the shooting pain in his arm, in his left arm, which he didn't pay much attention to. He was a very like stoic, you know, strong fellow. And he just continued, you know, continued to move on, but the pain was excruciating. A week later, they went for a, a graduation trip. The class went to New York. And during the entire trip, it was an excruciating pain, but didn't tell anybody. Several days after they came back from New York, where they spent Shavuot, and near 770, and they spent Shabbat with the Rebbe, he is, the principal of the school was subbing, and he notices this boy, Meir Shlomo, sleeping in class. So he calls him to his office, and he says, what, what's going on? What's going on? Why are you sleeping? You, you excelled. You did so well. You went through four grades in one year. You're sleeping in class? He said, look, I, I don't want to sleep. I just can't sleep at night. He said, I wake up continuously from the pain in my arm. And the principal says, Pain? You didn't tell anybody you have pain. He says, well, I, I didn't tell anybody. I don't like to talk about these things, but I'm really, really in pain. And it's so bad, I can't sleep at night. Principal hears, and he knows who this boy is. He hears the story, and he puts him in the car. He says, we're going to Cedar Sinai Hospital. They go to Cedar Sinai Hospital, and about 20 minutes later, the doctors come out. The principal had accompanied this young man to Cedar Sinai, and they're ashen-faced. And they call the principal in for a private consultation. And they said... According to the pictures we just developed, the x-ray, the entire bone is destroyed. The whole, the whole bone, the whole inner bone, is. it seems to be a very serious tumor. And we're not 100% sure, but this looks like a, a deadly cancer. And um, the prognosis is grim. So obviously the, the, the principle was totally floored. And, uh, and here's where my front seat to the story begins because the principal drives him back to school and he takes him out of class. Basically, they had to tell this boy what's going on. His parents are in Chicago. Then they have to call the parents in Chicago and let them know. And he takes him out of class and he puts me, he gives me, like I, I become in charge of him until we get him home to Chicago. And he's obviously, he's having a total meltdown. Um, you know, a doctor just told him that probably, he's probably going to die. And it's very state. From what they could see, it seems they're pretty sure it's it's a very aggressive tumor, and it's eaten up the bone inside his inside his left arm. So 
immediately we, we composed a letter, we sent off a letter to the Rebbe, and a response came back, I think maybe it was within an hour or two. And the response, the Rebbe's secretary called and he said, the Rebbe said they should check his tefillin. Now, one of my colleagues was, we stayed with him the whole time, we didn't leave him alone. And I actually took the tefillin to get checked. And there was an older uh, scribe living in Los Angeles, who's long since passed on. His name was Rabbi Mishalavan. And I took the tefillin to him and I told him the story and I said, uh, this is it's a terrible situation. And the Rebbe said to check the tefillin. And he called us a few hours later, I'm finished, and I went to pick up the tefillin and he said he could not find anything wrong with the tefillin. He said, doesn't know. The tefillin seemed perfectly fine. In the meantime, I gave him my tefillin to put on because if the Rebbe said, check your tefillin, we said, you know, check your tefillin. And, and we decided to send the tefillin to a, an expert scribe in Brooklyn. Uh, I, I had a, a little bit of a personal connection to him because he taught me uh, how to write Sefer Torah letters. He taught me Safras. His name is uh, Rabbi Elishevitz, Shalom Elishevitz. Brilliant, brilliant person. Very, very unique person. Extraordinarily talented in this field. So I called him and I said, Shalom, you know, I know in the past you've picked up things until nobody else picked up. And I didn't even give him the details of the story. I just said, the Rebbe said these film have to get checked and the sofa here didn't find anything, but I'm sending this film to you. And I FedExed the film to New York, same day delivery, that they should arrive in New York. Maybe it was next day. This I don't remember, same day or next day, but I sent him the, the fastest way I could get the film there. In the meantime, we had to get him on a flight to Chicago. And the problem was that, that his ticket, he had a ticket on Continental, but the ticket was dated three weeks later. So there was a, it was a, a huge story, which I'm not even gonna go into right now, how I managed to get him on the plane, but I, I drove him to the airport and um, whatever, let's just say we ended up getting him on the plane. <laughs> it's like a, really a story in and of itself. He, this was uh, on, um, I don't remember the day of the week. I think, I think this was on a Wednesday, if my memory doesn't fail me. I believe that he had surgery scheduled, emergency surgery to do a biopsy. I believe the surgery took place on Thursday or it may have taken place on Friday. This I'm not, this I don't remember with certainty, but either on Thursday or on Friday, I think it was Thursday afternoon, emergency surgery and the biopsy confirmed the worst of the fears. The MRIs suggested that, that whatever it was, it probably was no longer localized. And they were very, very concerned with his lungs. And that um, amputation of the arm was certain. And after amputating his left arm from the shoulder, there was a doubt. The doctors were very much in doubt if his life could be saved. But this was what they were hoping. They wanted to do emergency surgery to amputate his arm. And, and, then, they would, and then they would try to do radiation and see what they could do to control this very, what they thought was a very aggressive cancer. In the meantime, you have to know this boy, Meir Shlomo, very, very driven. He said, I'm not removing my arm until I get a bracha from the Rebbe. If I'm not gonna get a bracha from the Rebbe, I'm not, not I, need, I, need, I need clarity, I need a bracha from the Rebbe. Now I'm remembering this was, for, for sure the th surgery was on Thursday. We were three hours, uh, two hours uh, behind Chicago. We got the terrible news on the afternoon, on Thursday afternoon. And I remember that it was on Chafhei Sivan. It's Chafhei Sivan, the 25th day of Sivan. Sunday was Chafhei Sivan. Chafhei Sivan is the day that the Rebbe and the Rebbetzin 
arrived safely on these shores escaping the Nazis. And it was a, was a special day for Hasidim, time to thank Hashem for saving the Rebbe and the Rebetzin. And on these special days, my group of, of uh, fellow students, we would kind of, everybody would chip in whatever it was, $20, $30. And one of us, would, we would make a goral, we'd make a, a lottery, and one of us would have the privilege of going to the Rebbe for the day to represent our group. So one of my friends, who later I married his first cousin, his name is Mati Grossbaum, so Rabbi Mati Grossbaum, he was Zoha Begirdel, and so we, we got him a ticket, and then we decided that we were going to, Mayor Shlomo's parents were fuming, they didn't want him to go to the Rebbe, they didn't want to hear about this, they were, they were angry at God and the world, and like, you know, we send a son to yeshiva and he comes back with cancer, it was really a bad situation. So we actually collected money amongst ourselves, and we bought him a ticket to fly from Chicago, an early morning flight, 6 a.m. flight to fly into New York City. And our friend, Mati, Mardi was going to be in New York. He was going to meet Mayor Shlomo and he was going to go with him to the Rebbe. The Rebbe was giving dollars. The Rebbe would give dollars on Sunday. Now, in the meantime, the Sofer had called us back on Friday. The next day, we FedExed the film to him, got there on Thursday. He called us back, maybe even Thursday afternoon, either Thursday afternoon or Friday, and said that he had examined the tefillin very, very carefully. And he didn't know why we were checking the tefillin. But he found a hairline crack in the word Yodcha, which means your left hand. So we were like freaked out. That was like unbelievable because it's his left hand where the tefillin get put. And there's a hairline crack in the word in the chaf of Yodcha. It was like unbelievable. Like you, this was like, so in the meantime, obviously we called him right away. So don't use your tefillin. You have to borrow somebody else's tefillin. And... We were going to get the tefillin fixed, and then he was going to New York, so great, he's going to pick up the tefillin. Um, Mati met him, Marichalev met him, and and I don't have a front seat to the, this part of the story, but it's on video. And, and remember, his name is Mayor Shlomo, and this is Sunday, and he's slated for an amputation on Monday. And you see on the video, the Rebbe, let's say the Rebbe's standing here, you see him coming close to the Rebbe, and... He had, he had written a number of letters to the Rebbe and told the Rebbe what the story was. And as he comes close to the Rebbe, he, you, you, it's hard for you to understand, but we, we were not comfortable talking to the Rebbe. The Rebbe's presence was beyond anything you could imagine. We were actually terrified, terrified to open our mouth. So, so he tells Rabbi Groner, the Rebbe's secretary, who's standing right next to the Rebbe, my name is Mayor Shlomo Dubinsky. He tells the Rebbe's secretary, I'm Mayor Shlomo. And you see, just as he's coming in, and he tells this to Rabbi Groner, you know, for Rabbi Groner to tell the Rebbe, you see the Rebbe's head gets lowered like this. The Rebbe literally would look each person in the eye, and you handed a dollar bill. By the time you were getting a dollar bill, he was ready to look at the next person. Every person that Rebbe looked him right in the eye. It was, was, was uncanny, incredible. And said, Bracha And as he comes, the Rebbe lowers his head. The Rebbe doesn't look at him. Which is really freaky. And you see this on video. So... Rabbi Groner leans in and tells the Rebbe, this is Mayor Shlomo Dubinsky from Chicago. So the Rebbe says, Ah? Chaim Mayor? Chaim, there was Chaim Mayor, of course Chaim means life. Chaim Mayor? So Rabbi Groner says, no, Mayor Shlomo. And the Rebbe says again, Chaim Mayor? And the Rebbe doesn't give a dollar to Mayor Shlomo, who's standing right in front of the Rebbe. The Rebbe hands the dollar to Rabbi Groner, as if he's talking about somebody else. 
And the Rebbe says to him, Zog der Chayim Meir, Erzal Abgeb Mavtzdaka. And this is on video. He tells, tell Chayim Meir, the Chayim Meir, that he should give to Tzedaka. Now in the meantime, you see on video, and I also spoke to Mayor Shlomo, Chaim Mayor, right after I should call him, really his name is Chaim Mayor now. I should, he told me, he like, he flipped out. He like, as soon as he came, the Rebbe lowers his head, the Rebbe's won't look at him. And now the Rebbe's calling him Chaim Mayor. And the Rebbe's giving Rabbi Groner a dollar, like as if he doesn't exist. So he began to babble in Russian. He say, he said, the Rebbe, I'm, I'm, I'm Mayor Shlomo, and they want to cut my arm off, and they say I'm going to die, and I, he's just babbling in Russian. And all of a sudden, and the Rebbe's not looking at him, all of a sudden, the Rebbe looks up like this. You can almost see the Rebbe's hat was lowered. The Rebbe looks up like this. And the Rebbe gives him a dollar and tells him in Russian, healthy news? Then the Rebbe reaches and takes him another dollar and he says um, um, uh, something like, uh, like Lebedika news, like life, uh, I think good news, he healthy news or good health news, and something like the equivalent of like, like spiritual or religious news. Three dollars like that. And the Rebbe doesn't say a word, nothing else. So, we, I mean, we heard the story right away and the whole thing was just unbelievable. So this boy, Chaim Meir, says, I refuse to have my arm amputated until they do another biopsy. And the doctor's like, are you out of your mind? You're playing with your life? He says, I don't care. I want another biopsy. His parents literally want to kill him. But he's very adamant. And you have to know this Chaim Meir, a bulldozer can't move him. That's physically, he's like that big guy. Like you can't move this guy. So the next Monday, next morning, he's at the Bnei Ruven Shul, which is the largest Chabad Shul in in Chicago. He's given an aliyah, and he's given a new name. They change his name to Chaim Meir. And that afternoon, he has a hastily arranged emergency surgery for a second biopsy. A second doctor, a different a different doctor does a biopsy. The second doctor comes back with totally different results. He says there is nothing cancerous. This is a condition, the name I don't remember. The bone is rotted, we need to replace the bone like a, like, like an, a, a bone replacement. There is no cancer, there is no tumor. To, to, to remove this arm would be an act of pure cruelty. And the first doctor says, you're out of your mind. I, I have results. And they have a huge argument, these two doctors. And the second biopsy is sent off to Mayo Clinic for analysis. Now, I can't even tell you what was going on in the yeshiva. We were like, uh, the emotions were unbelievable. Man, the highs and lows of the emotions. And you get this news, and he's one of the students we work with, and then the whole yeshiva was in mourning. Like, it was such, everybody was so depressed. That was like the most depressing Shabbos. And then all of a sudden, we get this news. You know, we heard what happened at the dollars on Sunday. And then Monday afternoon, we get the news in LA that, that the second doctor said it's not cancer. I, 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 I'll never forget the euphoria, the highs and lows. And we were like cautious. Everybody just, everybody just afraid to start to be happy. You don't, you don't know what to think. On Tuesday, the final analysis comes back from Mayo Clinic. Definitive answer, it is not cancer. The second doctor is right, and there is no reason to remove the arm. The, the bone has to be replaced. I guess what you would call today the equivalent of a hip replacement. The bone has to be replaced, and there's everything. He should have a full recovery. So in the meantime, the doctors knew the story. They knew the story with the Rebbe, and the surgery was scheduled for Thursday to, to replace the bone. And he told me, 
Chaim Meir told me that he told the doctors, the nurses, that he wants the dollars he got from the Rebbe, he wants to put it under his surgical cap. And, uh, and they said, well, just put it in plastic, but like whatever you want, because whatever you're doing, it's working, so whatever you want, no problem. And he went to surgery like that with the dollars that he got from the Rebbe under his head. And the surgery was successful, Baruch Hashem. There were no problems, very smooth. And he told me when he woke up from the general anesthetic, he had a, a meeting with the doctor the next day, and the doctor gave him a bottle of pills. I don't remember the name of the particular pharmaceutical uh, product, but he, he said to him, these are extremely expensive pills. This is 30 years ago, okay? Like $100 a pill, very expensive painkillers. He says, you will probably have to take one every two hours because the pain will be excruciating. If you have any pills left, please bring them back. They're very valuable. This is a, it's a, I need you to bring them back. Promise me you're not going to play any games. If there's anything left, you bring them back. He said, of course. A week later, he comes back to the doctor for his follow-up visit, and he brings back the entire bottle of pills. He took one. He took one, and he didn't feel a need to take any other pills. He made a full recovery, Baruch Hashem. Two weeks later, maybe two weeks, maybe maybe less, I don't remember exactly, about two weeks later, he was back in yeshiva. Of course, we had a huge seudat hoda, a huge fabrengen. And I remember uh, our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Shachat, wrote a special opinion nefesh to the Rebbe right away, uh, thanking the Rebbe for this miracle of saving Chaimeir's life. And he came back and it was a, a very special fabrengen. And, uh, and that was the story. And the last I heard, He's married with a family, with a beautiful Kindelach living in Chicago. I haven't seen him <laughs> in that 30 years, but this is uh, the story. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.